Well, again, tonight we're only going to be in Ephesians 6 and verse 12. As uh, many people understand spiritual warfare, as us coming against principalities and powers, but if so, if that's how it is, the spiritual warfare is us coming against principalities and powers. When did this happen to give us a demonstration? Because anything that we are to understand in Scripture and are taught by Scripture, somewhere there's a demonstration of it. And if I can't find the examples for what I think takes place, then perhaps what I understand is wrong. And if what I understand is wrong, then my battles won't be correct. So we're going to spend our time taking a look at this one word, this word for against. It is repeated five times in this passage. We're going to look at the words in the Greek that are not used before we understand the word that is used, just so we can get a better understanding of why the word that is used is used. And then we'll see a, bit, a little bit of a better flow with the whole section here of Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. After that, we're going to take a look at some examples of spiritual warfare. So there's a lot on our plate here tonight. I hope to get it done in an hour. Last week, we're looking at the spiritual battle that when we are in, or when a battle is a spiritual one, it will appear in natural things. You are a flesh and blood person living in a realm, natural realm. So this is where the battles will affect you, and this is where they will be seen. When one wave is finished off, then another wave is coming. Waves don't mean that you're in the wrong place. The Christians and non-Christians around you will give into the spiritual influences of the wind and will be used just like the enemy used Peter against Jesus and Sarah against Abraham. You cannot stop them from allowing themselves to be used in this way, but you can take authority over it like Jesus did. So we said at the end, spiritual battles appear natural with repeating waves that sink boats and use people. So in Ephesians 6.12, it says, For we do not wrestle against, that is the first time we see this word, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, in the heavenly places. So we see all these times that we the word against is used against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts. Five times this word is used, and in this verse we have, uh, oh, I meant to write it in here. I believe it's 32 words in the English and 31 in the Greek or vice versa, but they're right around that. So out of those 32 words that are in the sentence, five of them are one. Same word. That's almost one out of six words is this word against. So, if we draw our attention to it, Brother Rick Renner in one of his lessons called my attention to this in that he brought up what this word was uh, and uh, how it can change the meaning, but he didn't go into it in any great detail. So I wanted to spend some time looking at this in some great detail, and I spent quite a few days looking at the words that are here. Part of that reason is this word is used over 740 times in the New Testament. 742 times. That is a lot of times to go through. 
And beside that, I wanted to take a look at the words that were not used. And this is not the most used word for against, believe it or not. There is actually one other one that is uh, used more. But we're going to go through here and take a look. Whenever you hear the word against, whenever I hear the word against, the first Greek word that comes into my mind, pops into my head, is the word anti. And this is probably the first Greek word, first word that would pop into most people's minds, is the word anti. And the thing that would stick out for us the most is anti-Christ, that we think of as against Christ. Twenty-two times this word anti is used. It means over against, in exchange for, in place of, instead of, one after another. Context determines the meaning, such as the reason for something, uh, because, you'll see the, the meaning of it, because the reason that something happens in Luke one twenty, when Zacharias was not able to speak because of unbelief. The word because is actually a translation of the word anti, not against, but because. Some of the uses in the New Testament, now most uses in the New Testament for the word anti are instead of, not against. Most of the times we see the word anti in the New Testament, it is translated instead of. Here's a couple of examples. In Mark 2.22, But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in place of his father Herod, in place mean, it comes from the word anti. He reigned in the place of, in the place of. Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it was said an eye for, that's the word anti, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for, that again is the word anti, a tooth for a tooth, in place of. In Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for, that's the word anti, for many. In 1 Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one pays back anyone evil for evil. That is the word anti. But always pursue what is good both for one and another and for all. There are some other places that we could uh, read through here as well. But most of the times you see the word anti show up in Scripture. It is not used in the way of against. It is used in a way of in place of. But if you look at some of the words that are built from anti, and I look at this mostly because these are words that Paul had at his disposal. These are words that Paul's even used, but these are not words that Paul chose or the Holy Spirit inspired him to write when he was describing spiritual warfare or how we come against these particular things or they come against us. So some of the words that begin with anti, there's a, a Greek word, antilego, which means to speak against. There is the, the word antidikos, which is to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, that's the word right there, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It means opponent or adversary. This word right here would seem to be the way most of us read Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, that we are describing adversaries. We're describing opponents. If Paul simply wanted to describe in the spiritual warfare an opponent or an adversary, he could have chosen the word 
that is used right here in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. And there's other places where that is used as well. Uh, another one, anti-kimai, anti which means to be set against or to be opposed. Eight times this is used in the New Testament. Six of them are by Paul. It means to be set against or to be opposed. This might even be more in line with how we think of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. To be set against or to be opposed. When I think of spiritual warfare, I see myself as to be set against or to be opposed to principalities and powers. But that's not the word that he chose to use here. And it is a word that Paul has used more than any other New Testament author. In fact, Luke is the only one who's used this word at all. Luke used it twice, Paul six times. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9, For a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. That is our word. In Galatians 5 verse 17, For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. There's an, they are an adversary. It's used twice here. Against the spirit and against the flesh. Philippians 1.28 And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. Once again, used as adversaries. Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 4 who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He opposes, that's our word, and exalts. There it is used for the word oppose. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 10. For fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to that's our word, contrary or an adversary to sound doctrine. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 14. Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now if this word, or one with anti, were used, it would be against or in an adversarial manner. So such behavior is not spiritual warfare. If Paul wanted to describe an adversary or warfare that is done in an adversarial manner, he would have used the word anti or a derivative of the word anti or a word actually that uses anti as a prefix and that would have conveyed this meaning. But Paul does not choose to use that particular word. So the next word that comes to my mind when we're, we're doing this and what made this a really difficult word study and this is the most difficult word study I've ever done in the Greek is this one right here. It took a lot of time to try and piece it together because no one really pays a whole lot of attention to most of these words because they're seen as insignificant. And because of that insignificance, there's not a whole lot of time that's put to the definition, so it took a little bit more time to get the definition and to get a feel of what the word was, was about. This word, kata, it means down, down from, throughout, against, some, uh, against someone, in, toward, by, about, according to, because of. These are the meanings that it can have. Luke uses this throughout his uh, gospel, and when he does, he uses it as the word throughout. As far as its meaning for, against, it is used for hostilities, as in hostilities that are down, 
expressed by actions or accusatory speech. So the hostilities that are talked about here with the word kata, it means someone who sees themselves in a position of being over and looking down upon the enemy, looking down upon the adversary. You're going to see actions that are derogatory and accusatory speech that is used when this word kata is used in an adversarial or in a way that would be terminated or termed against. It's used of something coming upon one or a person who is set over or exercises power in the presence of one as a spectator or auditor with a hostile aim or intent. So they're sitting on the side. They have power. They have exercise. They have power they can exercise. They are in the presence as a spectator or as an auditor. Now you could see from that, if we were going to use that word in for spiritual warfare, Paul has not really given us the idea that we were a spectator or an auditor of the things. But that, act, that aspect of it that we would exercise power would seem to have appeal. But some of the places that this is used, and this word occurs 400, over 480 times in 438 New Testament verses. 480 times you're going to see this word kata used. And then beside that, there are a lot of words that use kata as a prefix. In Matthew 5.11 and also in verse 23, you read both of these for you. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute, persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. This word kata is used here for this word against because you're looking at people that are using derogatory speech they're putting themselves in a position of being over. They see themselves as over you and you being under and they act towards you in a derogatory way and use speech that is accusatory. And that is uh, certainly well pictured in Matthew 5 and verse 11. Verse 23 says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. That's our word that is used there. Matthew 10:35, For I have come... To set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Three times it is used in that verse. Then the Pharisees, I'm sorry, Matthew 12, the verses I'm going to be looking at here in Matthew 12 are 14, 25, 30, and 32. 14, 25, 30, and 32. Verse 14, then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Well, they see themselves as in an overposition, and they are coming against Jesus. They see themselves in an authority position over Jesus. That's why this word here is used. But Jesus knew, uh, I'm sorry, but yeah, verse 25. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. When you have a house or you have a, a kingdom that is divided against itself, the side that divides is looking at the other side as being under them. They are faulty. That's why we separated. That's why we divided. In this country, when we had the Civil War, we had a country that was divided. The North thought they were superior because of these reasons. The South thought they were superior because of this reason. No one divided and thought they were inferior. They thought their reasons for the uh, division 
were right, and it's used here in this one. Uh, verse 30, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. That's our word kata. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Again, you're looking at an overposition. You're looking at speaking derogatory words, having derogatory action. Matthew 20 and verse 11, And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner. This is the parable. Well, they complained against the landowner. They felt they had a case that said, We are not being treated right by the landowner. Therefore, we see ourselves in a superior position. They complained. They said derogatory things. They had, as we know the parable, they had derogatory actions. Matthew 26 and 59. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the councils sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. They looked for false testimony. They were looking for accusatory words. They were looking for people to have actions against him that would be degrading. Matthew 27, 1. And when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. Again, the same attitudes carry here in the word kata in chapter 27 and verse 1. Mark 3 and verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Rhodians against him how they might destroy him. Mark 11:25. And whatever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, and your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. So that word against there in that verse that we know so well, is talking about if you have yourself a superior position, you are speaking derogatory words, you are having derogatory actions towards someone, this is going to hinder you, this is going to be a, a problem for you. If you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Mark 13, 8, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be divisions here. People, nations are going to rise up against nations because they feel like they have a reason for what they're doing. When you had nation against nation in World War I, World War II, each nation that rose up felt like they had a just cause and a just reason for what they were doing. Now, this is not the word that is used here in Ephesians chapter 6, 12. If this word were used, it would be against in a hostile, accusatory manner so such behavior is not spiritual warfare. People who want to engage in spiritual warfare and want to say derogatory things or act in derogatory manner or have speech that is in such a way as to be putting down the enemy, this is not spiritual warfare. If that was involved, we could have used this word kata. And Paul did not use this word kata. So that idea of the putting down of the... Um, hostile or accusatory manner that's not involved that does not need to be involved in our spiritual warfare so we eliminate that here's the third one this is the word epi it means on upon at by before over against and across it is a preposition and as with all grammar i'm sorry as with all prepositions grammar is key the principle is to begin with the root idea of the case. Don't worry if you don't get this whole meaning down. I just want you to make sure you understand what, the, what happens with a preposition when it's used. But the principle is to begin with the root idea of the case of the, preparation, of the preposition's object. 
So whatever the preposition is acted on, you've got to know the case of what is there. It could be the genitive, could be the locative, the dative, the accusative, the case of that. Remember that when you were breaking down sentences in English? This is where that could be useful for you. So you take the, the uh, root idea of the case of the preposition's object and the basic root meaning of the preposition itself and then combine the idea of the context. So that's where it gets a little complicated and can scare some people off. But epi appears in the genitive, locative, dative, and accusative cases. It implies context. This is, this is important. This is what I want you to get. It implies contact with its object rather than resting above or over. Epi is the opposite of under, which is hupo. Now I'm going to read this for you. I want you to see this. This is how it can change. This is how the word epi can change. Epi is not used, but this will give us an idea. I'm reading this uh, from one of the, the books that I have. If you took the word epi and teamed it up with something in the genitive case, it would emphasize contact either actual or intended. So in that sense, epi would mean upon, on, at, by, or before. If you put it with the locative or the dative, it would emphasize not so much contact, though this is involved as uh, uh, this is involved as general position. It concerns the effects of the contact, and thus means up, on, at, over, before, against, in, on account of, or on the basis of. Final one is the accusative case. This is the one that you see uh, a lot of. The accusative case emphasizes motion or direction that is in that is, some action which takes place on the object. So, all this to say this. Epi has a motion, has a contact part. Epi is not used, which tells us that in the area of spiritual warfare, not using the word epi, or a word which puts epi as a prefix, not using epi means that in the realm of spiritual warfare, we are not looking at contact. It is Spiritual warfare is not a contact sport. We look at, a lot of times we look at spiritual warfare, we got the sword, and we think of ourselves as swinging the sword at principalities and powers and making contact with them there, making contact with the shield, and so forth. But if we, since we don't use the word epi, that aspect of the contact or the motion that would be involved is not as much there. Now, there can be some, and we'll get into, into some of that here later on, but let's take a look at epi and how this is used. In Matthew 4 and 6, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. That's our word epi. The foot makes contact with the stone. That is, that's where we, we see that brought out. In uh, Matthew 12, 25 through 30, we're going to see this. Uh, it's a whole passage here we're going to read. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against, that's the word, kata. It's, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against, that's the word, kata itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against. That's the word epi. So here in this passage, we actually have against 
coming from a couple of different of these, of these words that we looked at. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. There is a motion, there is an action against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Upon There's a motion here that's involved. The Spirit of God has come upon you. And that's a lot of times when you see the word epi, there is motion and something coming upon. But this word is not used in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13. We're not looking at ourselves coming upon in the area of spiritual warfare. How can you enter a strong man's house, verse 29, and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, kata, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So these are some of the places where we see this. Again, epi is talking about that, that motion. Kata is not so much the, the talking about the motion, but it is the words in which there is hostile or accusatory manner. So there we had a passage with all those things that were involved. Let me get back to my verse here. We're going to be at Matthew 16, verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter. I mean, like this verse. You are Peter. And on, epi, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on, that's the word epi, on, on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this word epi is coming in here. This word is telling us it is coming on, it is coming upon. It is uh, talking about motion. There is a motion that is involved. I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Uh, Matthew 24 and 7. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. For nation will rise against nation. So before we talk about the nations rising against the nation and we're looking at a different aspect, here we use the word epi. What we're looking at is the motion, the, the uh, action that this nation is rising against this nation. It's not just rising up thinking that we are better than them, that we are in a higher position than them. It is talking about the motion. They rise up. That's why it is translated in this particular way. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. Acts 7, 54 and 57. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. They gnashed at him. At is the word epi. They gnashed at him. There was a motion toward him. They were doing something at him. They gnashed their teeth at him. Verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. If you're going to use this word epi, there's a motion that is involved. There is a movement that is involved, which tells you that in this thing here with the spiritual warfare, it is not something that we are moving over here into this battle, and oh, I'm going to go over here and help this battle, and we're going to move over here into this battle. That's not what he's describing. Verse uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death at that time a great persecution 
arose against the church. That's why that word arose is put in there because it's the word epi. There is a motion that is involved. Verse 24, Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. That there is not a motion in which these things that you have said move down and come upon me. That is our word here for epi. Again, there's a whole lot of verses here. I'm trying, I went through a lot of, I did not go through all 480 plus. I went through a whole bunch of them and pulled out the ones that I thought would help us out the most. Acts 13, verse 11 and 51. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Two times this is used. The hand of the Lord is upon you. The hand of the Lord comes down and moves an emotion to be upon you. And darkness or a mist fell on him. At the end of this, in verse 51, And they shook off the dust from their feet against them. They made a motion against them. This is the word here, epi. Um, we can skip the rest of these. I think we got a pretty good idea of, uh, of what these things would, would be doing. But... Go back over here to Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. If this was going to be the word epi, it would be demonstrating a view of an overposition and would imply some type of contact. This is not what he is using. Paul has this word at his disposal. He could simply use the preposition epi. He could use something with the word epi. He could use the word anti. He could use something with the word anti. He could use kata. He could use something with the word kata. He does not use any of those things. So those three meanings are not what he is trying to convey. What he conveys here is done in the Greek word pros. It is a preposition. It is a very simple word. It is a word that is used over 700 and 26 times. Epi is used more. I didn't think I read the number on that, but the, I believe I put the number in your, in your outline. Yeah, 897 times for epi. 897 times epi is used. Not derivatives of epi, just the word epi 897 times in 790 verses in the Bible. Pros is used 726 times in 675 New Testament verses. This would kind of put it in a, in a category with epi. It is insignificant, but it's not insignificant. It conveys a meaning. It tells us something about this. And Paul uses this word not once, not twice, not three times, not even four times. He uses this word five times to describe the battle that we face. Five times he uses the word pros in describing it. He doesn't just use it one time and then talk about against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, and then list those. Each time, before each one, against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age. Each time he uses the word again, against. Each time he uses the word pros. So what is it that he is trying to get through this? 
And so this is why I spent most of my time in this, is to understand the word pros, to understand how this word is different from the other words. And so what I do is I just sit down, down and I go through all these. I spent my first days going through the, the four verses until I could read through. So I, I must have read through one or two hundred of the verses that had epi in it, one or two hundred of the verses that had kata in it. I wanted to get so much to the point that when I'm just reading it in the English, I can pick out the word kata. I can see where the word kata is. I can see where the word epi is. I needed to get that familiar with each of those words so that I could find it and I could see it in those passages. And then spend time on the word pras. This word that is used here, it is a preposition, again, just like epi, and, and simply put, it is toward or with and used with a genitive, dative, and accusative cases, though by the time New Testament Greek comes along, the first two, genitive and dative, are very seldom used. Most are the accusative. In fact, in the Greek New Testament, one time it is used in a genitive and six times it is used in a dative. All the rest are used in the accusative. So that's the idea. The idea of what this word pros means in the accusative is what we need to know. And it carries the idea of closeness. And this is what I want us to get. If, and this can change the way that you look at spiritual warfare. The accusative pros may indicate movement toward a place or person. It may. It's not quite like epi in that the movement and the contact is part of the meaning of the word. It may indicate some movement toward a place or a person. Uh, used with, it's used with time like in Luke 24 and verse 29. Abide with us for it is toward evening. It is moving toward evening. That word there, toward, is the Greek word pros. This is talking about Jesus. We're getting close to nighttime, stay here with us. It could be used to express a goal in 1 Corinthians 7.35, and I speak this for your benefit. So those are some of the things that it can go there. But of course, here in the book of Ephesians, we have it as, uh, we have it as against. Now, we're not going to get into this word tonight, but we're going to get into this. Uh, I'll just give it out here to you. The word for prayer. If uh, you've uh, heard some people teach on the area of prayer, you may have heard of the word prosuke, which is the most common word for prayer in the New Testament. And guess what word is at the beginning? Pros is, that, is the compound word of pros. And, and so when we get over to verse 18, we'll talk about that. We're not going to do that right now. But in Matthew 2.12, uh, no, it's Matthew 3.5. Let's go to that one. It's, not, it's in Matthew 2.12 too, but I highlighted this one. Matthew 3.5. At that time, people were going out to pros. They were going out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region along the Jordan. So take a look at this. At that time, you've got to understand this word. This word is the word that Paul used to describe spiritual warfare. He uses it five times. He is emphasizing something. We've got to understand what it is that he emphasizes because a lot of things that we're doing in the area of spiritual warfare is useless and it's not what Paul taught. At that time, people were going out to him, to Jesus, from Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region along the Jordan. They heard about Jesus. They wanted some things. So they moved toward Jesus. 
they went in the direction of Jesus. There's more to that, but I want you to see it here in some other verses before I bring that part of it out. Matthew 3 and 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John. Jesus came to John at the Jordan River to be baptized by him. So get this in the picture. Jesus comes out to John, and he says to John, I want you to baptize me. You remember the story? And John says, I, I shouldn't be baptizing you. He says, oh no, but you will be baptizing me. And so they're, they are face to face. He came out to John. He is pros to John. That means he made a motion to John. He didn't hit him. He didn't contact, have contact with him necessarily. But he came out to him, and he is face to face with John. The people who came out to Jesus are face to face with Jesus. Verse 14, but John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet do you come to me? Do you come, I'm sorry, do you come to pros me? Do you come face to face with me? There's a closeness that is there. Matthew 6, 1, take care not to perform your good deeds before others. So is the word pros, so as to be seen by them. If you are going to have action, if you're going to do things to be seen by them, you have to do them in front of them. They have to be able to see you. You cannot do something to be seen by men if you are not in a close enough proximity and in a, uh, within the sight to be seen. Let's go on to this one, Matthew 7:15. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Be, be, be remembering this one. Beware of false prophets. They come to pros. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So a false prophet will come to you face to face. They look like sheep. And uses this word pros when it describes this. Keep that verse in mind. We're going to come back to it. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will refresh you. Come to me, that word there too, is the word pros. Matthew 13, 12, And great crowds gathered around him. Around is from the word pros. Around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and all the crowds stood on the beach. So they got around him. They got so close to him that he had to pull back and get into the boat so to get some separation and some space between him and them. Matthew 14, 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. This is when they were on the boat. He came to them walking on the sea. He came to pros. Matthew 14, 28, and Peter answered him, saying, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to pros. You, come to you on the water. Verse 29, he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, stepped out of the water, and headed toward Jesus. Pros, headed toward Jesus. He moved in a forward way to him. Now, in any of these cases, any of these ones that we have read so far, is there any hostility? Except for the one where we had the sheep, the people in the sheep clothing, but even then they were not hostile. The hostility is not there. In the area of spiritual warfare, one of the things that this word will tell you about is spiritual warfare often lacks hostility. Now keep that in mind. It's important for us to understand. 
Matthew 19 and verse 14. But Jesus said, Let the children come to me. Do not try to prevent them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Let the children come cross, come to me. The children come. Are they going to come in a hostile manner? Absolutely not. Jesus says, no, no, no. Let them come to me. He wanted to have them come. He wanted to embrace them. Matthew 21, 34. When the harvest time drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his share of the crop. He wants to collect the money that was to be paid because of the things that were agreed upon. And so he sent his servants to. That means they went to them. They're not going in a hostile way. They're going in a way to uh, collect. And, of course, they don't have electronic bank transfers back then. So you had to go physically, get the money, and have it trans- uh, transferred that way. That was verse 34. Verse 37. Finally, he sent his son because they kept killing. Not, not killing. They kept beating the, the servants and sending them back. Finally, verse 17. I'm so, sorry. Verse 37. He sent his son to Pros sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. And of course, we know the story. They killed him. Matthew 23, 5. They do all their deeds to pros be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their tassels long. They want to be seen. So they're doing these things in front of. Matthew 26, 14. Then one of the twelve, the one named Judas Iscariot, went to the ruling priest. He went pros to the ruling priest. Matthew 26, 40. They went to the disciples and found them sleeping. Oh, I'm sorry. Then he went to, Jesus went to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, So, could you men not keep watch with me for a single hour? Jesus went away praying. Then he came to them. He's face to face with them. He is seeing them. Now, I read these ones here to you. I didn't read all of them. I copied down all of the references that just Matthew has of this word. And I was going to read them all to you, but I decided, no, it's too many. And so I cut down to about half of them, but this is where all of them are. Every single one of these is talking about somebody who moves forward, moves in a direction, comes to them, not making contact, not hostile, but just coming to them to be in a face-to-face or in a close proximity with the, the, the people in the subject, the people that are being discussed. In Mark chapter 1, verse 27, I want you to see this one too. Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, among is the word pros. What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with kata, with is kata, authority commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. They questioned among themselves. If you were going to question among yourselves, if you had a group of friends, you went to a meeting and whoever was teaching in the meeting, he or she taught something, and it, it caused you questions. And the, the people you went to the meeting with, you might all get around. Maybe it might be around a table at a restaurant afterwards. Maybe it might be at the back of the church. Maybe it might be out in the parking lot. But you all get around. You get in close proximity. Did you understand when they taught about this? What did you think of that? And you begin to have conversation. This is what is being discussed here. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? We've never heard this before. Um, Who is this? He's teaching with authority. So what Paul is saying here, using this word pros, you can just do one of your few blanks you got here so far. What Paul is saying, using this word pros, is that spiritual forces, 
will come face to face with you in the natural things you see. Spiritual forces will come face to face with you in the natural things you see. When you see natural things, it can be spiritual warfare with spiritual forces working behind. These spiritual forces are not just up in the heavenly places. These spiritual forces have come close to you. They are pros. They have come against you. They are pros to you. They have moved in a direction. They are face to face. They are in your presence. And this is why he says you need to be putting on the spiritual armor. Because these spiritual forces are in your presence. They are there for you to see. This word, pros, has, it, it denotes a closeness, almost an intimacy. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, we are all familiar with this, but this is the use of the word pros. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. That word therefore with is the word pros. And the word was God. The Word was with God. The Word was in a close proximity with God. In fact, it says the Word was God. Now, that's what it's teaching here. This is what he's teaching. He didn't use a word that says that we are embattled and that we should see ourselves in a higher position looking down upon the enemy. He didn't use a word that says we should speak derogatory words. He didn't use a word, didn't use a word that says that necessarily... Anything about this will seem as if it's a battle. Because he's using the word pros. And very often when someone moves over, moves close to you using the word pros, you can't even tell that there's hostility. Most of the time in the Word of God this word is used, there is no hostility. Sometimes there is some hostility there and it's trying to, to be hidden. And of course we use that, we saw that one where they came as sheep in sheep's clothing. But they were ravenous wolves. They came pros. They came to you in sheep's clothing. You couldn't tell. When spiritual warfare is going on, things are going to move in your direction and you may not even be able to tell that they are against you. Because he uses this word pros. We spend all that time on the words that he did not use so that you can see he is not telling you that spiritual warfare is done in such a way that the opponent is obvious. That it is clear that here is our enemy. We are lined up. They are in a different uniform than we are. They carry different weapons than we do. They have uh, a different look than we've got. He is saying, nope, they're going to come right on in and they're going to move right on in just like the Pharisees did with Jesus. They're going to move right on in into your presence and you may not even know they are the enemy because they have come to you pros. They have come to you close in even an intimate type of a way. And you may not even be able to pick up any hostility at all. So, with all that done, what we need to do, what I always need to do, is I need to see this in action. The way most people understand spiritual warfare 
and that we are clanging swords, we are throwing spears, we've got shields that are uh, 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 clanging the other swords off. We are in this big battle that is going on. Where is that in the Word? Where do we see someone who is slinging a sword at a principality in power? If I can't find what I understand spiritual warfare to be, then it's very possible that what I understand spiritual warfare to be is not spiritual warfare. And it is something different. So I went on through and I pulled out a couple of examples. I can give you a lot more examples, but I knew by this point we would be close on time. Because <laughs> I knew how long it was going to take me to get through that. But here's, a, here's one. And we know this, this is probably the most obvious spiritual battle that I can give you. And that is in the New Testament. When Joseph was in a spiritual battle, because the view that is given in Revelation 12 and verse 6, and that's uh, something I didn't give you, Miss, Miss, Miss Elbow. I, I didn't even see it myself, and nor did I put it in my own. But in, uh, you know what, I, we don't need it. We, 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 don't, we really don't. Revelations uh, 12, 1 through 6. I think I just wrote it in there so you can go back there and, and see it. But you can pull it up. It's fine. Uh, in here, we know this is a spiritual battle. We, there is no question that this is a spiritual battle because Revelation gives us the outward look. Here is the spiritual battle. Here is the principalities and powers that are on, at work behind it. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she, cut, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. We know that to be a third of the angels that fell. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So uh, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. We know that to be Jesus. And her child was caught up to God as his and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. This is a really shortened version of a whole lot of history. That the dragon was in operation and before man even came onto this earth, he pulled a third of those angels out. And that, this was on, these are the ones that are on his side. He was at war with the woman who was Israel. The woman gave birth to the seed who was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was then caught up into heaven at the throne. He would then begin to, to rule with an, iron, with an iron, uh, uh, iron rod. And then the dragon would wait to take on the descendants in the, in the last part. The whole church ages skipped. All we're doing with here is the Jewish age. And we went right to, into the tribulation period. This is a spiritual battle. It is described as a spiritual battle in the book of Revelation. And in the New Testament, what we have given as a, as a small part of this is that Joseph is warned in a dream. There are people who want to kill the child. Flee to Egypt. That's what he heard in the dream. And so he picks up the child and they leave. And they go. All we know from the, uh, what is told in the Gospels is the natural battle. Herod, the people that are with him, came against Jesus. 
They wanted to kill him. That's all we know in the natural. But in the book of Revelation, there's the spiritual battle. That's the spiritual warfare. That's the, that's the spiritual warfare. That's the spiritual battle. But in reality, in, on this earth, what Joseph saw was people. Spiritual warfare involves principalities and powers and rulers and so forth, but they work through people. And the people are the ones that are in your face. The people are the ones that are coming to you sometimes peaceably. But they are moved by principalities and powers. This is the battle that you face in spiritual warfare. It will look like something natural, which is why he starts out and says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He's got to say that because the way this manifests is in flesh and blood. And it's really easy for me to get pulled off into thinking this is the flesh and blood battle. I'm battling Herod. No, you're not battling Herod. You're battling the dragon. That's, what's battle, that's what the battle is. That's one example. Adam and Eve in the garden. Can you turn, a, turn us over to Genesis chapter 3 and verse uh, 1 through 7? Uh, I have that one up on here. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the trees which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and gave also to her husband he, with her, and he ate. Read that through real, real quick. I gained some understanding on this passage some time ago. I'm not clear to teach on all of this stuff yet. I don't know if I ever will be. But um, I want you to, I can tell you this part of, it, of, of this. We read this, and how often do we think it is Satan who talks with the woman? It is the serpent. Where does the serpent come from? The serpent, go back over here again. Let me read this for you. It's important for you to see. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The serpent is a creation of God. It is not a manifestation of the devil. Now there's a whole lot more I can get into that to you. Maybe someday I'll be able to. Um, but the serpent is the one who deceived Eve. There was something that went on between Satan and the serpent. The, sat the, the serpent is doing, we know the serpent is doing Satan's bidding. Because Satan is the one who benefits from this. But it's the serpent. It is a spiritual warfare that is going on through natural things. In 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1 through 8. First Chronicles 21, 1 through 8. Now Satan stood up against Israel. Who did? Satan. It does this qualify as spiritual warfare. Yeah. It's Satan. Satan stood up against Israel. So Satan himself stands up. I am going to come 
against Israel. This is a spiritual battle. And moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the leaders of the people, Go number the Israel and Beersheba from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Job answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But may, but my Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? Even Joab knew this was wrong. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. And all of Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was an abomination, was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. So, he, so, God said to, so David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Spiritual warfare, how does it manifest? In people. He moved David. He did something here with David. He moved David to number Israel because he knew God had said, don't do this. And that would bring in some of the things that God would do against them. Here's some other New Testament ones. Not bring, not, we're not getting into all the ingredients of these stories. Just wanted you to see what's going on. Jesus is teaching his disciples, I must suffer. I'll be betrayed into the hands of the Gentiles. I will suffer. I will be killed. And in three days, raised again. Peter took him aside and said... You shouldn't be talking like this. And how does Jesus respond to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. So Jesus views this as spiritual warfare. That principalities and powers are behind what's being said. But you see, it is approached. It is pros. Someone friendly comes in a friendly way to try and steer us in a different direction. And Jesus says, you are not mindful of the things of God. He recognized it and he rebuked it. When Jesus encountered the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he was in, uh, that they were inspired. He, they were, were uh, coming against him. But Jesus, inspired of God, he said to them, you are of your father the devil. Is that not a spiritual warfare? Is not principalities and powers using the Pharisees and the Sadducees against Jesus and against his purposes, against the things that Jesus has set out to do? So this is just four examples. I keep on going on for a long time on this one. But you can, you can get your own mind on this and, and see it. Spiritual warfare is done not through the clanging of swords against principalities and powers but the forces that the principalities and powers principalities and powers use against us which are and I think I put this in your, your outline for you people thoughts and natural things each of these battles was a spiritual battle but what came against them were people thoughts and natural things See, if I'm, going to, if I'm going to do spiritual warfare, which is in the Word of God, which Paul teaches, then 
people in the Bible should have done it as well. And they're the example I need to follow. When I engage in spiritual warfare, what will come against me are people, thoughts, and natural things. This is likely why the first warning is given that we may know what is behind what we see in battle. What I see and what I battle, it's not about the flesh and blood that's coming at me. It's about the things that are behind them. It may be waves that are what cause the issues we face, but the real battle is the wind stirring these things up. All right, let's wrap this up. Our spiritual battles are not evident because of the evil appearance of, the, of our enemy. Your enemy will not always appear evil. Remember the false teachers, false prophets in sheep's clothing? They appear as friends more often than they appear as foes. We must walk as Jesus did, able to see and deal with the forces behind friendly and unfriendly faces. They will appear friendly until exposed. And then there's no reason to hide their evil. No reason to hide their evil purposes from you, but will defame and discredit you in order to conceal their true nature from others. How many movies have been made, Hallmark or any other, in which the evil person masquerades as someone good? Until such time as the mask is taken off and they can't hide behind it and then they freely say what evil master plan they have in front of the person who unmasked them. But they say, but you'll never be able to, to do this. You'll never be able to prove this. And then they go out and they defame that person. I don't, there's a, a, a kid's movie, you know, Little grandkids, they all like, like these things. How many have ever seen the movie Frozen? And seen, all right, I, was, I did not pick this up. I, am not that, uh, I don't watch these things that critically. Uh, but, but apparently Disney had put something in here intentionally that is this principle to a T. Do you remember the villain in Frozen? The guy who came on over? If you go back through, and I had to go back through and watch the scene again. Because I said, what? What? <laughs> If you go back through and you look at this, the, the person who is the villain always wears gloves. He always has his hands in gloves throughout the entire movie except at one time. When he was in the room with the, uh, I forget her name, wasn't the, uh, the, the freezing queen, it was the other one. Uh, my granddaughter's here, they tell me right off the bat. <laughs> anyway, uh, they had this, the second one, and he was trying to win her over and, and so forth. And as uh, it became evident that he was evil, as he is disclosing to her his evil plan, he takes off his gloves. And he discloses his evil plan. He puts out the fire so that she would freeze and die. And he lets all the cold come in. And then before he embarks to go out into the room again, he locks her in so that she would die and he puts on his gloves. I thought, wow, that was something else to have that buried inside that movie. But this is what evil does. It will keep the gloves on. 
It will keep the mask on. It will keep itself disguised. Once the mask comes off, and they can't, they very proudly tell of all the evil that they're going to bring about and how you cannot stop them. And then they will proceed to defame and discredit the person that knows their secret so that when they spread it, no one will accept it, no one will hear it. It's the same, same thing that we do here today, but many Christians have joined the wrong side in spiritual warfare, not believing what is exposed and believing the reports that discredit those that are gods. Many times the people have seen through the mask, they've seen through the sheep's clothing, and when they go to expose it, there are people in the body of Christ who would rather believe the wolf who is saying they are wrong than to believe what that person is saying because they are no longer attuned to what their spirit is saying. They have gotten so much into the flesh and blood battle that they believe their eyes, they believe what they see flesh and blood. No, this person is a good person. No, this person is a, is a, is a helpful person. This person means for good things. I had this happen directly to me. It was not a story. It, it, was, it was something that I lived through. I saw through the mask of an evil person in spiritual leadership. And when I had done that, they divulged their evil and the things they were going to do once I left. And so I wrestled with that for a little while. I finally decided I needed to bring it up to the, to the senior pastor, brought it up to the senior pastor, and that person went around to every, pers- every person there and defamed me and put me down so that they would not receive it. I left as I said I was going to leave. didn't leave because of that. I had already said I was going to leave. I was already gone. And this person proceeded to do everything that they told me to do and then did to others exactly what they did to me. What amazed me was that those people who refused to hear what I said were some of the very ones who were burned by this guy when he did it again. And not a single one of them ever came up to me and said, hey, you were right, we didn't see through this, and he ruined the church. Didn't see it. Didn't say it. But that had gone on. So I've seen this thing go on. I've seen it directly. We can see this in church. We can see it in business. We can see it in politics. We can see it in media. Some just cannot see or perceive the evil they side with or defend. But as Christians, we are expected to. Now, can you see this kind of spiritual warfare in other biblical accounts? The more you train yourself to see it, the better off spiritually you will be. you got to get to the point where family relations, church affiliation, political parties, media personalities will not sway you away from seeing the spiritual battles behind those who have worked their way into being pros close to you. Can God count on you in the battle to stay true? Or will you fall for words, thoughts, or actions from those who have become cross, close to you? Because still got one more week to go before we venture into the armor. Got one more week to get, get through with this. But our understanding of the word pros and how it describes those that come against us is important. Once we have that understanding, then the armor 
will be understood in a better way. But understand that this word was not anti, it was not kata, and it was not epi. It was not an adversarial way in which he is describing this. He is describing this as pros. Very often, someone close to you, someone that you trust, someone that you have built a relationship with, is involved in spiritual warfare against you. That's who the principalities and powers use. We saw the examples that the enemy used David against Israel by making that decision. He used the rulers that were over the land, who were supposed to protect the land, against Joseph. So many other places that we, we saw this going on. He uses people that are in the situation, people that are close to the situation, people who can influence the situation, and he influences them such a way as to come against you. Understand that's the battle. If we understand that's the battle, then we will understand the armor of God in a better and more effective way. Father, we thank you for the warning that you give us about the spiritual battle, about the things that are going on, that the devil does not come at us in an adversarial way, but he comes away, comes at us, comes against us in such a way as to be almost friendly trying to win our trust. But I thank you that the spirit that is on the inside of us exposes us, exposes them to us so that we do not fall for their wiles, for their deception, for their way. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, any comments? questions or was anything unclear because we did cover an awful lot of stuff here in one night i hope i didn't didn't lose you well i need some blanks filled then <laughs> well you're back there doing double duty so right. i certainly understand that on e2 and e3 yeah my numbers are different from yours oh uh, it's each of these battles was was spiritual battle that one no i got that one the this next is one. likely why the first warning is given mm -hmm. that we may know what is behind what we see and battle. And then the last one? That would be maybe, maybe waves. Oh. That are what cause the issues we face, but the real battle is the wind stirring things up. It may be waves that are what cause the issues we face, just like the disciples faced the waves that were coming into the boat. But the real battle is the winds stirring things up. And Sharon says, very helpful to know what we battle. And then she says, I guess you'll teach us how to protect ourselves from being used by the evil one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the armor is helpful in this. But we have to understand, and that's why we spend so much time on all this, what the battle is. Because there's people are unclear on this. People are doing things in the area of spiritual warfare that is useless, pointless, and actually causes people to say, oh, that's weird. I'm, I'm going away from, from that. Um, We've got to understand what the spiritual battle is. So that's why we, we were on this. But yeah, we're going to get in, into some of those. And the, she added something that says, and how to discern the spirit behind the situation. Yep, yep, we need to know that. 
the armor is really there to help you to understand all these things. And if we understand the armor right, we understand the armor that this is how it helps us in the battle, and it's not the swinging of the sword. It's not the hiding behind the shield. It is, it is, it is different from this. He's using the Roman um, figure to, so we can see the different parts. They had different parts. We have different parts. But the shield doesn't work exactly the same way that a Roman shield would, nor does the sword of the Spirit work the same way that a Roman sword is going to work. But too many times we're taking the thing, uh, it, literally, and we're here swinging swords and, and throwing out scriptures and trying to battle the enemy in this way, and we're not understanding spiritual warfare. We've made it too spiritual. It is a lot more natural than it seems to be. It's done a lot more in the natural realm, but if we fight it naturally, we will lose. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. These are the, the things we have to, to understand. But that word against, that was, that was uh, key there. Brother Rick clued me into that. He just didn't give me a whole lot of detail on it, and I just I wanted more detail on it than, uh, than what was there. But I was appreciative of him cluing me in on that and having me uh, check that out and, and see some of that. So anything else? Anybody wants to add? Yeah. Under A? Oh, that I may not have done that. That's a shame. I meant to. Antichrist. The word anti. We think of it as against, but again, anti was... Um, most uses are in the replacement or the instead of. So in doing that, antichrist, we think of against Christ, but actually would be against as in place of Christ. Antichrist, using the word anti before the word Christ, would have more of a meaning of in place of Christ than against Christ. We know that he is against Christ. But one of the main things that Antichrist will do is try to come and take his place. He's going to try and be in the place of Christ, not just fight against. That's where, where you can see the, the word anti. But anti in our, in my mind, you know, I still think anti, against. I'm a, a program that way in Greek, anti, against, anti, against. But actually it's, uh, its meaning is, is carried out more so in other areas. Thank you. I did. I totally forgot to, to say that. I know I did. <laughs> Part of that problem is my notes were so much longer than yours that uh, I, I get a lot of space sometimes between the things I have to, to fill out. All right. Well, thanks all for coming on out. And next week, we will still just be on this. I believe we will finish 13. Uh, but there's there's some things we need to see about the stand, and we'll be get into it next week.